Do I look different? Because I feel different. Each of us who traveled to the Holy Land came back feeling different. It's near impossible. I think actually it is impossible to go to that holy place and to not be transformed and changed by it. Yet it's difficult to convey because not one of us can really pinpoint when and how the transformation took place. Perhaps it was some sort of accumulation that happened over each day as we visited places that we've only read about in the Bible. For example, Jericho. As we read about in today's gospel, Luke's gospel, Jesus entered Jericho. Well, we went there. This one, this Jericho. And as we went through, we stopped the big bus by a sycamore tree. Now we were reminded by our guide that this sycamore tree was not around at the time of Jesus because that was 2,000 years ago. But this is what sycamore trees look like in the Holy Land, and they look different from ours. So we got off the bus and we took photos of the sycamore tree. We talked as we stood there about how it would be easy to climb. It had a few crevices, kind of like handholds and little knobs along the trunk that could help you get up to the lowest branch, which was probably at least eight feet off the ground. And the branches were wide, even going way out, and so you could really climb up to see. It led me to imagine what it was like remembering Zacchaeus in this story. You see, I'm short of stature, and so I know what it's like with a crowd, and I started to envision what that crowd had to look like. Sometimes I can actually see, not over people, but through them, like where they're in between their arm and their body. It's only when it gets to be at least two people and definitely three that I cannot see. So I imagined what the crowds were like that Zacchaeus abandoned, trying to see, and headed toward the tree. And what must it have been like then to have Jesus greet him? He came down from that tree and welcomed Jesus into his home. And he was changed. Something happened to him. It had to. Something had to have happened to him so that he responded, "What I will give half of my possessions to the poor. Half. I don't care what level you are on the economic scale, half is a lot. Then he goes on to say, if I defrauded anyone, I will repay them four times as much. Look, nobody's perfect. There had to be one person. Pay them back four times as much? Zacchaeus' life was changed by his interaction with Jesus. He was changed forever. We too experienced something similar as we entered into all of these holy sites things that were there for thousands of years. I noticed that the hymn we just sang, the words are from the fourth century, that's the 300s. We saw things from 300, mosaics that had been there from the very first people that visited various sites and made art to recognize the holiness of the place. One free afternoon, we had the option to go to various places, and I went to a place that I hadn't ever been before, which was the Upper Room. It's in the old city of Jerusalem. Everything is narrow. The streets in the old city are maybe 20 feet wide at most. 
And so we found our way among various twists and turns, because of course it's not built on a grid. It works with the way the land works. And so things are put where space is. And I went to this church of some orthodox nature, although a very small sect of an orthodox church. I can't remember what it was. I just remember that I was unfamiliar with it. When we got there that afternoon, through the doors, there was a patio opening, and everything looked to be closed up. Behind one gate, up some stairs, there were some people gathering for some type of tea kind of time. And so I yelled up, knowing them to be somehow connected with the church, and said, Hello? And they turned around. I don't know what language they spoke, but it wasn't what I speak. But I said, The upper room? And pointed toward the church. And they said, Just a minute. And Justinia came to open the church for us. We went in with our heads covered and made sure not to cross our legs in order to not show disrespect. And Justinia told us about the church that was built over the upper room. The upper room was beneath the church because you see in that land, when anything wants to be built again, they just raise what's there, fill in the space, and put something else on top. So the upper room was beneath the church. She told us of an icon that's been there for many, many decades, supposedly for more than close to 2,000 years. And she also sang for us the Lord's Prayer in Aramaic. Aramaic is the language that Jesus spoke. It was beautiful. Part of what made it so lovely was that the sound was different. In the East, the notes and the progress and the progression of notes in a song are different than what our Western um, ears are accustomed to. So both the language and the sound took us into another world. And after that, we were invited to go down to the upper room. You could still see where the door had been, where the window had been. And I remembered John's gospel. Justinia had reminded us of it, even, as she gave her little speech in the sanctuary. She said, this is where the first Pentecost happened. And I thought, first Pentecost? Remember Pentecost, it's what we read at the Feast of Pentecost about Acts when the Holy Spirit descended and thousands of people could understand even though it was not in their language. Well, she talked about this being where the first Pentecost was. And then it occurred to me why she was referring to it in that way. It's because when Jesus entered that room, as we read in John's Gospel, that was locked because the disciples were afraid of the Jews, he breathed on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Any sins you forgive are forgiven them. Any sins you retain, they're retained. Those were the words that came to me as I was in that upper room. When we came back together for dinner, people started to swap stories about where they'd been. And with each telling, each one lamented that they hadn't gone with that one too. Oh, I wanted to do that, we found ourselves saying. Ann Beatty, who was a part of our group, came to learn that the front deskman knows the Arabic Lord's Prayer and knows how to sing it. He's an Arab-Palestinian Christian. You see, in the Holy Land, all Christians are Palestinians. When I learned that he was able to sing the Lord's Prayer in Aramaic, I, I wanted so badly for everyone to hear it. So I asked him if he would do us the favor of singing the Lord's Prayer in Aramaic to start our dinner off. 
Well, we ended up having to start eating for a while because he wasn't done with the front desk work, but he made his way over. We were probably close to halfway through our meal, and he introduced himself to me, which took me three times to get his name right, Shaheen. And he told me a little bit about his own faith journey as a Christian in that land. He spoke so eloquently about how we are all one and the need to remember our oneness so that we can bring about the peace that God longs for in that region. I was so grateful for his words. I said, would you tell everybody that before you start to sing? And he obliged. The second time I heard it, when he was speaking publicly to everyone, it was even better. His infamous on God's oneness and how we have to remember that in order to bring the peace that God longs for into this world. And then we closed our eyes and his voice filled the space with the words that Christ taught his disciples to pray. These are the gifts that come with a holy journey. Almost two weeks of a prayer trip, if you will. On paper, it looks like just any other itinerary, but as you enter into each of these spaces, you begin to see that God is active and alive in the space. You learn to notice what God is doing. We talked about coincidences and how there aren't any. And with the practice of having a prayer trip, you come to notice how God is revealing God's self in all things, in the very fabric of our lives. We learned this even more as we listened to a couple of different speakers who shared their perspective on the Palestinian-Israel conflict. We heard from one man who is Arab-Palestinian Muslim. He happened to be educated for a while here in the States. I know he went to the University of Chicago. That's one thing I remember about his bio. And it was a surprise to hear him say that he thinks the solution is a one state. Then we also heard from an Israeli Jew. He grew up in Norwalk, Connecticut went to Norwalk High School. He is, considers himself a Zionist and on the far left spectrum of politics. Who knew there could be that combination? He and his wife have five children and they've made a point of making sure their kids go to a school where they learn both Hebrew and Arabic because they long for peace in that region. It reminded me, it reminded each of us of how little we often know about the other we were challenged to get off our high horses and come down to stand on the ground with one another. We were reminded of the news that people hear about our country on that side of the world. We were wonderfully oblivious to all of it, having chosen to be so. But we were remembering how that's so incomplete, the message that they get, and our desire to say, wait, 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 there's a little more nuance here, or that's not what we mean, or I don't agree. And we learned that they feel the same way about what we hear about their region. It's life-changing to come into that space and to realize that God is at work in all that we do. In the very fabric of our lives, God is drawing us closer to God's self. There aren't any coincidences. God works in our lives over and over again for us to come near and to know the grace and peace and mercy and love that God has for us. Even looking at the re reading from the prophet Habakkuk, we are reminded that turmoil is always in our world, and we are called to be agents of peace in this world. It's only through oneness, each of our speakers reminded us, that we can reach that goal, looking on the other with compassion, reaching out to the other in love. 
That's how we find a way forward. Our speakers, each one, made sure we brought that message home. Take home the hope that we have. Help us nurture the hope here. When we realize that God is working in the very fabric of our lives, we begin to pay attention. We begin to open our eyes to see what God is doing in each of us. And God does still work in the fabric of our lives. I'm reminded of someone who shared with me recently that they doubled their pledge for this 2016 year. I was completely amazed. That's not an accident. That's something someone does on purpose. What is it that God is doing in our midst that brings about a response of gratitude in such a way that we long to enter into the joy and to share all that we have? When we come to be in the scriptures, we begin to discover not only God, but ourselves in relationship to God. And we discover, as Zacchaeus did, the life-changing joy that we know in Jesus Christ.